Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, as we told you, with uh, the advent of uh, 2019, uh, some uh, new regulations about uh, impaired driving have come into effect. And, uh, well, we, we knew a little bit about this. And in fact, we know now that police don't have to have probable cause or even suspicion to be able to demand a breathalyzer test uh, if they stop you. And we thought, a lot of us thought, well, okay, if it's going to stop the carnage on our roads and, and the drinking and driving, I guess that's okay, although there are some concerns about civil liberties, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at the letter of the law, uh, as unbelievable as this may sound, these revised laws now on impaired driving could actually see police demand breath samples from people in bars, in restaurants, or even in your own home. And if you say no, you could be arrested, pay, maybe face a criminal record ordered to pay a fine, subjected to a driver's suspension. You could be in violation of impaired driving laws even two hours after you've been driving. Now, I, I want to boil down on this one because it's it's somewhat concerning for an awful lot of people who may want to be law-abiding citizens, but at the same time get caught up in this. I want to bring Joseph Newberger in the conversation. Joseph, of course, is a criminal lawyer with Newberger and Partners, LLP. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. Oh, my pleasure. It's important issues. It, it really is, because I, I think a lot of us were, to to a certain extent, probably buying into this thing. Okay, maybe we do have to toughen up the laws a little bit. But this element of it, Joe, is really under the radar for most people. It is. And, and i got to be honest, the whole idea of providing a roadside, uh, which is a mandatory requirement without any evidentiary standard, is, is really quite silly, because the threshold that the police had to achieve originally was quite low. But having that minimum standard was important. Now... Uh, the other troubling part is up to two hours after driving, the police can make a demand of an individual. And let's just go to the extreme for a second. You're on your way home. Maybe you're very tired, driving a bit erratically, has nothing to do with drinking and driving. A, a citizen sees the car, phones it into police. They've got your license plate. Uh, you arrive at home, go sit down, turn the TV on, watch a sports game, maybe the Raptors or something, decide to have a few drinks. An hour later, you get a knock at the door. Hi. Hamilton Police Service, how are you? Uh, we've got a report of erratic driving. We'd like you to provide a roadside sample, please. Well, what if I don't comply, sir? I, I, I wasn't drinking and driving. Well, you're going to have to comply. If you don't, you're going to be charged. So then you step outside and you take a roadside and you blow over. Then you get charged. And then it's your onus to establish at the time of driving that you are not over the legal limit. So in other words, essentially you're guilty unless you can prove you're innocent. Absolutely. Which kind of runs contrary to the to the <laughs> to the whole concept here. And and Joe, that's not a hypothetical. I mean, I, I know a lot of people. I mean, I've been in that circumstance. You know, if if you're the DD, you're going out for dinner with family or friends or something like this, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to drink soda water, whatever. But I'm going home. I am going to watch the Raptors game, and I'll probably have a couple of beers while I'm doing it. So that's that's a very very plausible concept and very plausible in many people's cases. Absolutely. Or you go out for a business dinner and you don't plan on drinking, but then all of a sudden and you guys are talking and you wind up having a couple of scotches and then you go, you know what, I'm going to Uber at home, I'll just leave the car here. But somebody saw you driving to the restaurant, might have been an issue, police try and speak with you when you're at the restaurant and then you could be charged. I mean, these are very plausible scenarios. It may be few and far between, but the fact that this exists and the possibility exists is an, incredibly ero an incredible erosion of our civil liberties. And it's far too intrusive on our own privacy and our right to enjoy ourselves in our homes or restaurants. It's too much. And it's not going to make a difference in trying to curb drinking and driving and the accidents and the carnage that we see. What it will do will lead to other erosions of our rights in other areas. And it is happening now. There's other legislation 
that's eroding our rights as citizens of this country. They see this as a license to do what they want to do, and it's becoming, in my opinion, a much more difficult country to defend yourself or protect yourself. I want to get into some of the, the, the nuances of this, because this is one of the things I found. So, to use your example, okay, yeah, I'll have a couple of drinks just at the end here, but I'm, I'm not going to drive. I'll get a cab or I'll Uber or whatever. The, and if they come into the restaurant and say, no, I want you to, to take a breathalyzer, that's, they're presuming that I'm going to drive home, but I've already made a decision not to. Right. And, but but the, the other issue is it, this would have to be in relation to somebody complaining about your driving on the way to the restaurant. So they have to have some basis to approach you in the restaurant because it would have to be at the time of driving. So it's not just simply because you're in the restaurant. But as we do know, police cruisers park outside restaurants, so when people walk out and go towards their car, they can be stopped. But that, that was the same under the current legislation. The key to this new piece is that there's some element of evidence that has been communicated to police that there is something wrong or suspicious about driving, and then the person is now in a restaurant or in a home or in a friend's home, and then the police arrive to investigate. Well, okay, but you know, you, it depends on who's going to make the phone call too, doesn't it? I mean, uh, hey, I saw yeah. I saw Kelly driving over to the restaurant there, and you know he's been there for three or four hours, and I think he's really pounding them back. You you better check into this. But yeah. I have I have no intention of driving home. But I mean, you know, all of a sudden a complaint's been lodged, and they're going to investigate that. Right, right, and it has to be within two hours after driving. Yeah. Yes, that's that's a very plausible point, and it's very aggravating to your own privacy. And by the Absolutely. way, we're, we're all do, we're doing these scenarios based on the, the idea that, okay, these are well-meaning people that see somebody who's driving radically. Uh, there can be a vindictive element to this as well. I mean, if, uh, there's a co-worker that doesn't like me. They could call me out on this and call the cops on me, and I'd never know. Look, I, I can tell you I've been defending cases in high-conflict divorces, and there are calls made by There's either, another so. scenario. Yeah, and, you know, my client who is on a charge, and then all of a sudden— the spouse made a complaint about an impaired driving as he left when he dropped the kids off or she dropped the kids off. And, yeah, this can be a vindictive response where it comes out of a work environment or a, or, or a marital dispute. Who knows? Absolutely. Very concerning. Great invasion of privacy, erosion of rights. Well, and it's, as you say, having, uh, you know, worked in a number of those cases, I mean, it's not unusual for in, in, a, in a, like you say, a marriage breakup, any number of things like that, to have accusations going back and forth on this. Uh, and, right. and, and if there's somebody who's truly vindictive, this is a tool they can use now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. I would expect the police would try and act in a judicious, reasonable manner. I don't want to presume that they're going to do anything wrong. But just the fact that this can go go awry for individuals now is extremely scary. And this is a very important issue that we have to address as a society and as citizens, especially when we have an election coming up. Well, and I understand, and we, we talked about this when the government was talking about, my, you know, making these amendments to it. And, and, you know, because of the carnage and because of the accidents and the number of people that are caught to, to be driving over the limit, we figured, okay, maybe we've got to do something about this. But I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about this one element of this, that, that they can actually go into your house or go into a, a, an establishment. Uh, before you even get behind the wheel again and, and, and just assume yep. that you're going to be driving. I, yep. I was always under the impression that, it, okay, if you got behind the wheel, then it's all fair game. You know, you've made sure. a decision to try to drive, and they have every right to come in there and say, no, you can't. But if Absolutely. you drop the keys on the on the table there and say, I'm not driving anywhere, uh, they, but they can still demand a breathalyzer anyway. 
Yeah, under the theoretically under this legislation, yes, they can. And, and again, I I, I want to you know reiterate what you just said, Joe. We're not suggesting that police are going to be hiding behind trees with these breathalyzer outfits trying right. to nab people right. on this, right. but they do have to respond to uh, if somebody makes a complaint. They can't just Absolutely. say, "Oh, come on, that guy wouldn't really do that." They have to follow up on it. That's right. That's right. And and you got to put this into uh, you know comparison with the legislation for impairment by drug. So there, there still needs to be an evidentiary standard to make a demand for sobriety testing. And I think, to a large extent, this legislation was brought in simply to focus the public, look, we're doing something about impaired driving by alcohol, and it deflects a little bit from the, uh, you know, the uh, anemia that we have in place in detecting individuals who are impaired by drug. That, to me, was a bit of a political play, and I think that's why we see this legislation. Now, it's it's early days, obviously. This came into effect January the 1st. We're just a little more than a week into the new year, so obviously there have been no test cases on this, but i got to assume at some point somebody's going to challenge this. Absolutely. They, one of the cases will come across my desk or one of my partner's desks or any number of law firms across this country, and there will be constitutional challenges. And it will be to this. It'll be to the roadside stop. And what we're going to have is you know more havoc in the courts, which was completely and utterly unnecessary. When they were crafting this legislation, was there any pushback at that time from, from no. folks like yourself? Did, did yes. you even know this was coming? No, we did, and, and there were uh, individuals who uh, testified at parliamentary committees, but they don't care. They never listen to us, and they don't care. And there was not a fulsome discussion with all stakeholders, and um, you know, defense lawyers are the last that they want to hear from or even listen to. And they always say it's constitutional, just like other legislation now that it's about to get royal assent about eliminating preemptory challenges to jury selection, eliminating preliminary inquiries. It's bad. What we're going to see over the next few years is very bad legislation with very draconian impact to individuals who are accused of offenses, and I think this is just a, a hallmark of an erosion of democratic rights in this country. Well, and, and where's where's the, 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 the vision and, and the forethought into some of these to talk about ramifications? I mean, you know, instead of simply, as you mentioned, saying, okay, we're going to do this and really tighten down and make sure nobody who's intoxicated gets behind the wheel, just have, did no one think about the ramifications? I and mean, you just mentioned about five or six different very, very plausible scenarios. Just got another one here from uh, Elizabeth who said, hey, you know, what if it's a high-profile individual, you know, a politician, a politician? figure all you need to do is sick the cops on them and say this i think this guy's been drinking he better not get behind the wheel bingo yeah. that guy's on the front page of the newspaper career could be ruined yeah or or anybody like you know forget a high profile person a nice person who's working really hard supporting a family and all of a sudden you know their license is gone they can't they, they lose their job because their job may involve driving i mean it can have incredibly damaging effects to individuals accused and their families and the problem is the government doesn't think about the long-term impact of this, in my opinion. We've seen a lot of knee-jerk reaction legislation. There was that case in Saskatchewan. Very sad case, but now let's get rid of preemptory challenges. We don't like the decision in Gomeshi. Great. Let's make it impossible for accused to cross-examine complainants. Let's do all sorts of stuff because we want to pander to these groups. And it's a particular mandate that I see with this government. As well-meaning as they may be, they've got it wrong, and it's very scary. We, we, changes here in this country are very, very scary, in my opinion, from a democratic and a fairness standpoint. Now, you mentioned that at some point this is going to be challenged. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is uh, when that finally does happen, and it is inevitable that it's going to happen, it's going to take a long time. It will. It'll take at least a couple of years to get up to the Supreme Court of Canada. 
you know, they might fast track some of it. Um, and I don't know what will happen. I assume that provision, the two hours afterward, will be struck down. I think the roadside mandatory testing uh, without an evidentiary standard stands a very good chance to be struck down. And that other legislation, which has come out now, too, is going to be challenged as well in other areas of the criminal law. So we're going to see a lot of constitutional challenges over the next few years. And and again, the way this rolls out, I mean, even if, if you win at the lowest court level where the, you, you actually put the charges in against it, uh, you know the government's going to defend their, their action here. So this is going to go on and on and on. Absolutely correct. Yeah. <sighs> you know, the message they're sending here, really, is if you have a driver's license, don't drink alcohol. Yes, and, and, and that's not a bad message, but we need to do it in a different way that doesn't erode uh, individual rights. You know, if you're drinking, don't drive. There's other ways to get home. But, you know, the reality is having one or two glasses of wine at dinner doesn't mean you're going to kill anybody. So, you know, we have to have balance in everything. We have to understand human nature and the way we interact and socialize. And, you know, as, as serious as impaired driving is, statistically speaking still, it is not you know, as significant a danger as many other areas in our lives, including pollution and other things. So we need to focus on a number of issues and have balance in everything, including our criminal justice legislation. We talked about refusal now is is uh, no longer an option. If you refuse the breath test, you're charged with refusing. Uh, and, and if you do blow over, is it, it's automatic, I would assume, Joe, that they have to lay a charge. Correct. That's correct. So you have to, you're in the system then all of a sudden. Yeah, and then you're going to have to defend it, hire a lawyer, get a toxicologist, and you're going to have to fight it out. Okay, but, but how do you reverse, how do you defend a reverse onus here? How do you, how do you defend, how do you prove that you, you weren't drinking when you were out in the car earlier? Well, what you would have to do uh, is hire a toxicologist who would then take the reading. So let's say the reading was at 2.20 a.m. and the time of driving was uh, 12, uh, you know, uh, 35. So the toxicologist can do a mathematical calculation uh, to try and read back the readings to establish at the time of driving you would have been under the legal limit or had nothing in your system. But then sometimes you'll have to do individual testing of the individual so that you can determine how they, what their rates of elimination are. So there's science involved, and it's an access to justice issue because not everybody charged will have the funds to hire a criminal lawyer who's experienced with this and then the right toxicologist. Well, and therein lies part of the problem. You just talked about, you know, there's some individual working, you know, having a couple of beers after work, and they're they they, they they're not going to be able to do this. They're not going to have the legal resources nor the knowledge to be able to do this. They might, you know, they, they might find somebody who can give them some legal advice, but maybe not to this extent, uh, and they're basically screwed then. Correct. Yeah. They have to find the right lawyer, and the lawyer will then have the right expert. So where are we going on this? Are we uh, uh, just waiting now for somebody to actually get charged? Because it's, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, at some point, it's going to happen. And and, yeah. and, and and then obviously the wheels of, of justice are going to start to roll here to try to find out just how we're going to, to sort this out. Correct. Uh, we Now it's just a waiting game. Legislation's in place. Uh, cases will come forward. Lawyers will make challenges, and it will work its way through through the system over the next couple of years. That's what I anticipate. I mean, because there's a structure already in place here, because you know police have been telling us for the last couple of years, if you see somebody driving erratically, call 911 and report it. And they right. do respond to those sorts of things. So, I mean, the tools are already there for this to happen. Absolutely correct. So it will happen. There will be cases. There will be constitutional challenges. And it will play out now over the next two to three years. And we'll all have to just stay tuned and see what happens. What, what about the legal community here? Is, I, I know that you've tried to, to talk to the government about this before these things were enacted. Uh, do we? There's nothing more you can do at this stage. I mean, this is law now. It was law as of January the first. So we're now we just we we. There's I guess there's a 
the, 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 the bad news here is that we're going to have to wait for something to happen, sadly. Yeah, I mean, there's an election coming up, so the, you know, people who cast their votes can speak to their MPs and say, look, we don't like this legislation, what are you going to do? Will you amend it? Uh, so there is a political mechanism in place, but, you know, uh, loosening up on criminal laws is never a good political move. But if people are up in arms about this and concerned about the erosion of civil liberties, they can speak to the MPs who are running, and they can uh, put forward their position by their right to vote. And we're going to have an election coming up. So that's one other way that we can address this. There, By the way, I'm just getting an email here from one of our listeners uh, who's uh, in on our conversation here, Joe. Uh, Daniel, thanks for reminding me about this. Th- there's already been an example of this just a couple of days ago in the news. I'm sure you heard about this one, Joe, where a guy was returning a number of uh, empty beer cases uh, to the beer store. Uh, a police officer saw this and thought, boy, that's an awful lot of beer to be consuming in such a short period, and, and asked him for a breathalyzer right there in the, yeah. in, the, in the parking lot of the beer store. Yeah, that was that was a guy named Arts, and I listened to it. I actually commented on it, and it did happen. And he was a 70-year-old gentleman who, you know, has never been pulled over by police, has no contact with the criminal justice system, and uh, was really perturbed by the fact that he was stopped because he's returning empty beer bottles at, I think it was noon or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And he so said to the officer, I haven't been drinking, and there was no impairment obvious at all. There was no signs of it. Yet he was detained and he had to provide a sample. So he was really disturbed by that fact, and rightly so. Well, we'll see. Obviously, there's going to be another story, and, and the uh, the game will be on after that. Joe, thanks so much for bringing this to our attention, and thanks so much for the insight into this. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good show, and take care. You too. Joseph Newberger, of course, criminal lawyer with Newberger and Partners, LLP. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.